0: Jacob Pacheco is a content creator, entrepreneur, model, speaker, professional surfer, and he also adapts to life with cerebral palsy. Jacob's platform often focuses on empowerment and optimization. Throughout his life, Jacob has faced incredible adversity, including bullying, medical setbacks and intense surgeries that left him immobile, abuse and depression. Despite these challenges, Jacob thrives. And he founded Prone to Ride, an apparel company and content platform. So, Jacob, I, I had the pleasure of meeting you at the Abilities Expo out in, out in Los Angeles. And uh, so I appreciate you being my guest.
1: Of course, I'm happy to be here. It was a pleasure meeting you as well. It's always nice to connect with like-minded people and have great conversations. And we had a good one. And here we are.
0: Here we are indeed. And so, I, you know, obviously, I, I just want to learn more about you. And so... Um, I thought maybe we would we would start by just talking about, you know, um, you growing up and, uh, you know, a little bit more about your disability and then just kind of, uh, and then just kind of have that, start that conversation from there.
1: Yeah, totally, totally get it. I'm down for that. So I was born with cerebral palsy. I was diagnosed at about six months of age. So long story short. It's kind of like getting a couple of eggs for a brain. And instead of making sunny side up eggs, you get scrambled eggs. So I got a little bit of crosswired wiring up in the brain. And that's what kind of led to me walking a little differently and wobbling around everywhere. So we broke a few eggs, made a scramble instead of sunny side up eggs. And now we're here. I took all of that stuff and kind of ran with it. Growing up in the nineties, there wasn't too many resources Mm-hmm. And technology wasn't where it was at today. However, uh, we still made the best with what we had. You know, I came from very humble beginnings. You know, my pops is from Latin America. My mom's from Ohio. They really kind of didn't know what to do, and so they kind of put things together. But they always made sure to push my boundaries for my own sake and for their sake to see where things could lead. And sure enough, one thing led to another. Small steps led the way. And we're here, but it didn't come without its own trials. It was actually pretty difficult, but it was worth it in the end. And something that I actually read recently is, you know, the challenges we, or the suffering that we face helps us thrive later on in life. So I believe in that fullheartedly. And some of my greatest friends in life really believe in the power of the meaning of suffering. And I know that suffering can be a triggering word to some people, But Mm -hmm. if we can take meaning away from that adversity, from that suffering, I think it makes us stronger as human beings. I don't have all the answers, but I do know that taking one step at a time every single day does have a powerful effect on your life in the long run.
0: Yeah. And, and you, you, you. Something you said sparked sparked a, an interesting thought. First of all, there's nothing wrong with scrambled eggs, right? Scrambled, we like some scrambled yeah, eggs.
1: <laughs> of course. Everybody <laughs> likes an omelet every now and again.
0: That's right. And and so you said your parents were from Ohio. Where in Ohio?
1: So my mom was from Lakewood, Medina, Cleveland area. So they moved around a little bit around there. My pops is from the mountains of Peru in the Andes uh, from a town called Ayacucho.
0: And, and, and when did he, uh, immigrate to, to the U S
1: in the eighties. And that's how he met my mom. Unfortunately they didn't stay together, but they did have me and my sister and I have two other siblings as well. So we got a nice big family and we all get along. We all support each other. So it's, it kind of makes sense that I'm in the position that I'm in today. Both of my parents are entrepreneurs. They run their own businesses. They own their own businesses and they've built it to where it is today. So I've I've watched that storyline from the beginning, and I've taken a lot of my own work ethic from them because they've become such beautiful souls, and they taught me everything that I know, and they became that kind of standard for being an amazing human. I apologize for the sirens in the background. (laughs) It's kind of what happens when you live in a downtown area.
0: Very true. And so... Um, I always ask, I asked about Ohio. Cause my mom, my mom lives in Ohio. So that? Oh, no
1: I, way. See, yeah. we have connections everywhere, my <laughs> man. And,
0: and you said your parents, you know, really didn't know what to, what to do. So did, were you introduced to sport at any point in or early on or later on? Where did you kind of get introduced to like the sports adventure recreation side of things?
1: I think I'd always been kind of a kid with a lot of energy. I, Put it in context of being a bouncy ball in a really small room. You chuck it as hard as you can, and you shut the door and see what happens. And that kind of represented my energy as a kid. So tried a lot of different things. I used to be a, a scooter person, biking, running around everywhere. I have lots of scars, lots of falls. As far as professional sport and getting into the organized sports side of things. I tried challenger baseball when I was really, really young, like between five to eight years old, and then it was there was just nothing for about 10 to 12 years until I forced my way onto to the high school football team, and I wasn't allowed to suit up, put pads on. So instead of taking no for an answer and conceding, I focused on contributing and being of service, and I became the team manager. And it didn't happen until I was in college where I got my first taste of high level athletics with the Paralympic soccer team in 2019, 2018. But I didn't know what I was doing there, even though I had genetics to back me up because my dad was a really good soccer player (laughs) on his side of the family. All of my aunts and uncles were extremely athletic very, very good uh, soccer players, but it didn't translate to me that well. You know, cerebral palsy kind of threw a wrench into those plans. You gotta have really good feet coordination, and you know, with me wobbling around everywhere, kind of looking like I had too much to drink last night, it may not work out that well. But I gave it the best I could, and unfortunately, it didn't work out. And then I kind of found my way through sport from there. Whether it was working in Division One or professional sport for multiple years. And uh, and then I discovered surfing when I moved down to Southern California for graduate school. After that, I took my chances and I started experiencing the ocean and the water. And it's become part of my life ever since. It's healed a lot of different wounds. It's also brought a huge community and huge opportunity just by simply enjoying myself, riding the waves in the ocean it's brought a lot of personal and professional healing, opportunity, and things that I'm just really, really excited about. It brought me to you, and here that's we true. are.
0: Here we are, and I don't want to talk about surfing just yet. Or I want to, I want to save that for just a little bit later.
1: Of uh, course, of course. <laughs> can't get, can't give them everything. You know, we got to wine and dine them a little bit. That's
0: right. That's right. And and so yeah, we got to lead into that. We got to lead yeah, into that. Yeah, of course. And so. Um, you mentioned that you know you were you weren't allowed to to, to play or, or be on the football team. Uh, where Where was that permission denied? Was it denied by you, your family, your
1: doctor, the team? That's a good question. I think where it was first excluded was, you know, I was running football routes with the guys on the turf in the field. We were in shorts and and jerseys. And people looked at me like I was pretty crazy. All the athletes thought I was nuts. Everybody was like, what is this guy doing out here? Nobody really said no to me at first, but the attitude and the atmosphere was, well, you're kind of slower, smaller, and weaker than everybody else. So you really expect to suit up. I didn't care. I was going to do what I wanted to do. And I kept showing up. I just didn't take no for an answer. And they did throw me a couple of balls and they, they didn't take any heat off of the throws. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I gave it my best shot. I loved to, to take a hit and give a hit. And whenever I had the opportunity to stand up for myself in context of athletics, I did my very best. And sometimes I embarrassed the guys and, uh, and they kind of saw it as like, a oh, you let this, this smaller, weaker dude with cerebral palsy you know, show you up a little bit. And it's like, well, I ain't no scrub either. Like Mm -hmm. I'm showing up here, you know, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: I proved myself and I, you know, I was under a hundred pounds up until I was a senior in high school. So I didn't really kind of grow into my body for a very, very long time. So my body is still slim and slender. But I take good care of it. I take good care of it now, Sean. So (laughs) that's kind of how it happened. And then when we got to the pad time, like picking up your pads, your helmets, your jerseys for the season, I walked in. I was picking up a helmet. I was choosing it. The head coach said probably one sentence. He was like, Jacob, you're not doing that. Put it back. Go home, son. And it was embarrassing because it was in front of a lot of the team. It was in front of a lot of dudes. So I just put down the helmet. and I walked out. But it hurt. I mean, it really hurt. And not to not to mention that I've made a few mistakes along the way as well. Like I wasn't a perfect team manager, but I did my very best. And instead of allowing others to tell me what I couldn't do, I just focused on what I could do. And I found ways in. And that led me to where I am today. Did I think it was going to work out to where it is today? Absolutely not. I had an idea. I had a vision that changed over the course of many years, about three or four times. And now we're on the fifth try and this try feels like it's the right one. And if it changes again, that's okay too.
0: That's all about adapting, right?
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of what life is really all about.
0: Yeah. And that's that's the reason why I wanted to ask that question, because often we are told no, and it's a matter of you know some people just accept that and and i'm hoping you know that our listeners don't you know that that you know don't accept you know your first no or your second no or even multiple nos i mean it's it's what you do with that no and mm-hmm. as, as you said you never you never accepted that no so i think i think that's just an important lesson for all of us you know regardless of where we are in life and, and what we're doing and, and what we're what we're trying to tackle
1: Yeah. And I think a good piece of personal and professional advice is one no gets you closer to your yes. And I know that's kind of cliche and redundant, but I really get excited when I'm told no to go and speak at a business or a company or a conference, because that means that somebody took the time to respond. Mm -hmm. Now I'm one step closer to getting the opportunity that is right for me. And you learn as you go. And if you can learn how to kind of transition and change and figure out what you did right, and what you could improve on, then I think you're in a position to just keep improving and keep giving your best effort. I think that's what really is most important is your effort and not the entitlement to your results because you really aren't entitled to your results. The only thing you're entitled to is the amount of work that you put in, the quality of work that you put in, and seeing where it goes from there. I didn't know that I would become a surfer, a professional surfer, a speaker, and I had an idea of what I wanted to do, but putting in that effort every day, putting in that work every day, small adjustments here and there. And I'm not talking like these big grand gestures. I'm talking simply about maybe getting up out of your bed, brushing your teeth, putting gel in your hair, washing your face. That kind of sets the tone for the day. Those types of small steps really kind of add up over time, and you build positive, healthy habits that kind of endure and also improve the amount of effort that you put forth every day. You know, for example, this morning I knew I had to get up and talk to you. So I made sure I was up early. I got a lot of water in me, made sure I took a shower, washed the face, brushed the teeth, put on a nice shirt looking good feeling good ready to get on the mic (laughs) and put in a little bit of the gel right (laughs) exactly you gotta look good my man
0: gotta look good i used to do that i don't have enough hair to do that anymore but
1: (laughs) you're doing all right my man you're doing all
0: right And, and and so um one of the other things that you you kind of brushed over real quickly is of course before you even found surfing that you were uh, earning a uh, earning a graduate degree. So that means you already earned an undergraduate degree. So talk about schooling a little bit.
1: Yeah, that was a very interesting time in my life. I really value education on a very deep level, but I think my my idea of education has changed over time. I believe you can learn any skill you want through books or personal research, but it also helps to go into community-based learning, such as universities, community colleges, because it helps teach you social experience, how to bridge gaps of understanding, how to communicate with others. And in this day and age where a lot of things are going virtual and we focus more on a digital connection rather than a personal interpersonal connection, Mm -hmm. I think there needs to be a, a blend of the two because I do think everything is going digital and we have so much opportunity right now for the disability community for all of us in general even those who are of lesser means who maybe come from low-income humble beginnings to actually provide opportunity to have a better life have better quality of life so i think that there is a space where you can combine the two to work in conjunction so i i believe in education i believe in the ability to have social experience and Going to college was really fun for me, but it was also at the time before Instagram, before social media, I, mm-hmm. I went to school at like 2008, Instagram came around in 2010, 11, 12. Uh, so it was brand new, right? So my generation was the generation that was learning how to live with all this. And now we're here 10 years later and it's changed so much. And we're, we're on the precipice of something really beautiful Um, and I think it's only going to help the world get a little bit better, but we have to learn how to control, you know, our urges. And I think social media has created a structure of overcoming human weakness. I don't know if you've ever seen the social dilemma, but it talks in detail about these things about how it doesn't overcome human will, it really overcomes human weakness. So it brings us back into this realm of, disconnecting from ourselves disconnecting from the people around us Mm -hmm. and that's very powerful so i think that education social experience social communication brings us back into what we perceive as our realities and how we communicate with each other and how it's important to meet new people see new places learn new things to explore and experience life
0: yeah that's awesome and where did, where did, what did you get your bachelor's degree in? Uh,
1: yes, I got my undergrad in history, and I oh. got my graduate work in kinesiology.
0: Okay. Well, that's an interesting combination.
1: It is. It is. Uh, but it's based around a lot of social science and human interaction. I really enjoyed working with athletes. I wanted to be in sport. That was what my main goal was. But ultimately, I think the universe had a different plan for me, and even though I fought being a teacher for a long time. I think I've become a bit of a guide and a teacher for those that are in need. And also I'm a bit of myself as well. So I had to learn how to embrace myself along the way. So history was like my nerd side. I really enjoyed reading and studying classical history, ancient history, but it also teaches you a bit about human behavior, decision-making and how we can get better. And In history, you're taught that nothing is really objective. You're always going to see through a lens of biases based Mm -hmm. on the books that you read and things like that. Uh, But also kinesiology kind of combined that a little bit to help teach me how to communicate with humans, how to understand their thinking and how to work with them and find ways to build up the human spirit and empowerment. Because I think the human spirit is really underrated. It has the ability to conquer a lot of different things to do beautiful things, such as provide a podcast to provide connection to things like that. You know.
0: Yeah, and so was so going to get your going to earn your graduate degree is what took you to Southern California, right?
1: That is correct. That is correct.
0: And so, since you mentioned a little bit earlier in our in our conversation about. Um, about surfing and obviously what, what you, what you do, how did you first discover surfing? So you, you move out to Southern California to go to school. How did you discover surfing?
1: So I discovered surfing by sitting at an Island's restaurant and watching surfing on a big flat screen TV in central California, probably one of the furthest places from the ocean that you could possibly be. (laughs) And, My mentor at the time was like, you should try that. He's like, I think it would be really good for you and your life and your physical abilities. And I said, I agree. Eventually, one day I will try it. Fast forward two years, I graduated from Fresno State. I was coming down to Long Beach to check out the graduate school, fell in love with the city, the campus, everything about it. I knew it was the place for me. And I just loved the vibe. I went to the beach to train because I was trying to get ready for a track and soccer, um, competition. I was really focused on that and I was using the water as a dynamic training tool, the push pool of the tides yeah. to help you learn how to balance and kind of move through the muck. But the sand also creates this kind of suction cup around your feet. And so it, it requires a lot of strength, a lot of dynamic movement and I, and it was a big day that day, the, the tide was pushing and pulling pretty hard. The the waves were kind of big. It's probably like four to six, maybe five to seven foot. So it was a big day. And, you know, me being, uh, not a surfer yet, I was getting, uh, into the water, getting trashed by the waves, getting <laughs> spun out onto the sand, face full of sand, rocks in my teeth. I had the biggest smile on my face. That I just spat it out and I ran right back into the water to get back into my second training session. So, my best friend at the time had just moved as well a few months earlier and he watched me with his then wife walking in and out of the water and he said to his wife he's like I really want to meet that guy. And his wife was like, "Well, you should." And he eventually he did not. He started leaving the parking lot and then he was asked a question like, will you regret not showing up and introducing yourself to this person? And he said, yes. So he literally made a U-turn. This is the story that he told me, made a U-turn, came back into the parking lot where I was parked and introduced himself to my mentor. And I was changing in the back of the van. So I was like, kind of naked, but kind of not naked. Like One minute. <laughs> yeah. He just it, He bangs on the side of the door. And he says, hey, Jake, somebody wants to meet you. He opens up the door. I kind of fall backwards and my head's hanging out backwards. And I'm looking at him upside down. I'm like, what's up, dude? And that's how I got into surfing. And that man took me out from there for 90 days straight, rain or shine. He taught me how to surf on a $100 foam board that felt like sandpaper. (laughs) And I had many rashes, but he proceeded to walk me out, turn me around, throw me into waves, come back and get me do the same thing over and over and over again for 90 days. So if that doesn't tell you the power of community, I don't know what does, because I don't think if I didn't have that man in my life or I didn't have that friend in my life, I probably wouldn't be uh, as good of a surfer as I am today. I wouldn't have fallen in love with it. So it's, I believe in the power of community, social experience and having good people around you.
0: And Jacob, why do you think it is that your mentor thought surfing would be something that you you should try?
1: Well, I think now with the clinical research we have with the independent surf therapy organization, ITSO, they have a lot of clinical research. They have a lot of um, medical professionals now describing the power of the ocean as far as the dynamic movements of water, the push pool, mm-hmm. the the kind of spiritual or medicinal healing of it the act of letting go and letting yourself float in the water the wetsuit also adds a a a kind of idea of compression so it compresses your muscles while you're Mm -hmm. moving at speed Mm -hmm. and you also have to deal with the motion of the ocean and the balance aspect of being on a board as you're coming down the face of the wave because the water is so dynamic it's going to kind of make you always think even when you think you're on a perfect wave it'll change the moment you're on the face of the wave like the the wave will drop out from under you and you'll be like oh crap and then face plant into the water and you're just like great i just messed up a beautiful picturesque wave that i thought i was (laughs) going to write my name on and that currently didn't happen that's wonderful instead i got a saltwater smoothie up my nose and mouth and it tastes great (laughs) <laughs>
0: well i want well, to water is such an equalizer and such a, a powerful you know kind of therapy um in of in of itself and then you add like the salt i mean i know none of us like salt water or, or taking <laughs> it in in, in in certain orifices but but i know that you know salt obviously is is important to to us as humans and and mm-hmm. so I, I guess if you had all of those components in there then and that makes sense. And I'm, I'm used to, I'm hours away from a, from an ocean. So I typically think of, you know, when I get in water, it's, it's, a, it's a pool or it's a lake or even a river perhaps, but, but if you add the waves of, of an ocean then that even just adds another element, just kind of that, as you said, that push and pull.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really dynamic. It's really quite beautiful because you also have to deal with the mental aspect of letting go and not being in control. And I think we fear uncertainty in the unknown mm-hmm. pretty significantly in, 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 our, in our humanity. But if we can learn to trust, to let go and to believe in not only in ourselves, but what's around us, I think it provides a sense of power within that. You can take anywhere you go in life. And I know it's really difficult. That's easier said than done. And, anybody who probably listening to this podcast, they're like, yeah, you're full of bullpucky Jacob. That's, that's what that is. And I understand it, but the more you're in it, the more you understand how everything kind of has a purpose. You can control what you can control, but at the end of the day, you're not entitled to the results. Something that I said earlier, and I really believe that. And you can read any kind of really good book that you want to on personal growth and self-help. Will Smith said it in his book. Uh, The Bhagavad Gita is written about it. The Bible is written about it. And they say it in very basic terms, like just stack one brick at a time, one step at a time. Don't expect anything of the good work that you do. You're not entitled to the results, but good work will speak for itself. And maybe you won't get the results that you want, but you'll get the results that you need. And I know that's really difficult to accept because there are times where I wanted things to work out and they didn't but i'm really happy with where i am today and all i can do is just keep moving forward
0: yeah and and then and you also said something about obviously the first time you were in the in the ocean uh the waves beat you around a little bit is there anything that is there anything to the to the fact or notion that uh you know getting beat up a few times by a wave here and there and, and oh, yeah, you know, yeah. you're wanting to overcome that or defeat that and you're like okay it got me this time i'm not going to let it get me next time
1: Oh yeah. There's plenty of moments. There was one recently and I'm actually going to be speaking about it in about a week at a elementary school. I have, I have it on video, you know, to kind of, I'm going to be talking about decision-making where I thought the wave was going to do one thing. I made the wrong decision and I paid a pretty big price for it. And it was scary. What you don't see on the video is how I was shaking uncontrollably in the water. And I was allowing my mind to kind of take control of the situation. And that's not a place that you want to be at one, because I have a camera in my mouth. So I had a mouth melt, meaning that I I was allowing water to come in my mouth while I was getting beaten down by the waves. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm struggling to breathe at the same time. And my physical body is starting to tremble from fear. So it's contracting my rib cage, which is shortening my airflow. Mm -hmm. So I'm, essentially suffocating myself and drowning myself at the same time. So there's a lot of different things happening and the waves aren't stopping. So I have to make a decision. I can either panic, scramble and get myself into the beach, which probably would make things worse. Or I just take a couple of deep breaths. I find out where my board is, grab my leash, pull it towards me so I can get all my board, which is a flotation device and just kind of wait out the moment and it lasted about 60 seconds, but it felt like 20 minutes Mm -hmm. because when you're getting pounded like that, it's time slows down Mm
0: -hmm. and it's very, very difficult.
1: Yeah. You have to figure out how to put the pieces in place. So I went back to my tools. I just said, I need to breathe. And you could hear how fast my breathing was the first 20 seconds. And then there was a two or three second moment where I just started taking deeper breaths, slower, drawn out, and things started slowing down a little bit. It didn't get easier. It just got calmer and it helped me focus. So I, you could see that the camera kind of shifted around. And what I was doing was I was trying to just hook one finger, just get one finger on my leash. Because if I could do that, I could string the leash and pull it towards me. And in, in respect, pull the board towards me as well. So I could catch it with one hand and that would be my flotation device. And that's what happened. And I was able to just control the breathing and sure enough, guess what happened? The waves ended and there was a clear path out. Did it suck? Yes. hundred percent. It sucked. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I had to make a decision about whether or not I was going to continue or if I was going to let that day go. So I've made the decision to try one more time that specific day to just paddle out one more time, try and catch a wave. And if it didn't happen, it didn't happen. And I would call it a day. I think that that's what is really important. It doesn't matter trying 20, 10, two times. If you try the first time and you fail again and you try again and you make that commitment to yourself to just try one more time and whatever comes from that, you're okay with I think that that's healthy. I think that that's pretty healthy. Giving up the first time and and Mm -hmm. calling it a day after that, it depends on the situation, 100%. If you had a really intense experience like that and you called it quit after one try, I understand that. And then you came back two days later, three days later and tried again, that's a positive thing too. I know for me, I like to just keep giving it one more go on the same day just to see what would happen if I don't succeed. There's always the next time. And that's pretty powerful. And that's what I use. So I understand how some people feel. And all I want to say is just keep trying, give it a go. And what happens is what happens.
0: Yeah. Cause even if you give up after that one, that woman, one moment, I mean, maybe it's just not your day, right? I mean, everyone, everyone yeah, has I, off days.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're not all perfect. I I've surfed a long time and I still have days where I get really humbled, like that one specific day that I just told you about. Mm-hmm. That was a really humbling day. And that was only recently. And I've been, some, I've been in some hairy stuff, but sometimes every once in a while, you're just reminded that you're a little small drop in the bucket and the bucket's much bigger than you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and so what does it mean to be a professional server?
1: I think it means being... Being a conduit of community and performance, but I think it's more important in, in especially in respect to adaptive athletics, to be a conduit for community, because you have a lot of people looking to you and there are a lot of people that want to do what you do. And there might be a little bit of an expectation, like I can do it too. And yes, to some extent you can, but there also needs to be a certain level of respect given to the people that put in the work every single day and over the course of their lives to be at the top of their games. But if you want to be a a professional athlete, uh, especially in adaptive athletics is just to be a conduit for, for community, because most of the people that come after you maybe didn't have that concept of community. And so they're really looking to you to connect and it could just be something simple as giving giving an elderly person who doesn't have a lot of people to talk to, maybe giving them three minutes of your time just that day and and asking them how their day is going. I think that that provides a really good kind of concept of what community can really be. And it's something simple like that. Most people might be like, well, it's two or three minutes. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Maybe not two myself but what about the elderly person who doesn't have anybody to talk to and those three minutes really made their day you know so yeah that's something that's really important
0: and i've seen a lot of growth in you know particularly para or adaptive surfing what, how would you describe the landscape now and how would you describe uh maybe the, what the future of this space looks like
1: in my opinion uh Adaptive surfing is the pinnacle of disability entrepreneurship and the ability to stand alone. Um, they've, they've done a very good job. A lot of the leaders in the space have put together events that are funded by their either their own money or sponsors that they've gotten in their own respective countries. So currently, I believe at, at the height before COVID lockdown, we had 12 separate events worldwide that were funded and run by sponsors in their own countries, but it was adaptive athletes. It was run by adaptive athletes for adaptive athletes. Mm -hmm. So they were all very, very well organized or at least able to put it together because of their own ingenuity and their own communities, putting it all together. Uh, I think the future is very bright We do have to kind of break through a couple of different barriers, but we're very, very close. And I only see it as going up from here, Um, but there will come a day where people will have to make decisions about whether you want to compete or if you want to free surf. And I think there's a differentiation between the two, but it still has the same concept of community, pushing your performance in just in different ways. So, uh, it's a huge community it's worldwide and it's a beautiful one. Um, but before you jump in, you got to walk. So don't expect to be tackling big waves right off the bat. Cause it's very dangerous. It's very intense. And I've had a few people reach out to me for, about that. And they say that they can handle it right off the bat. And It's like, uh, just, just take, take a minute there. <laughs> take a minute there. <laughs> it's scary. Cause it'll snap you in half, you know? So You just gotta gotta give respect to the ocean because you you don't control it at all.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of that was going to be my next question: is what advice would you give to people who see it and think that they do want to do it? What what kind of recommendations or advice, or if you're instructing even a new surfer that's giving it a try for the first time, what do you what do you tell
1: them? We start slow. Mm -hmm. We start slow and we focus on only having fun. I think that that's the most important concept. Is a lot of people want to focus on performance. Mm-hmm. but if you can't have fun, you lose the performance aspect of being on the way. That's something that I had to learn, you know, later on in surfing competitively is if you don't have fun while you're doing it, you can't perform at your peak. You can't perform well because you're focusing on a lot of other things that don't really matter. What matters more is, Keeping yourself safe, but also having fun at the same time, because when the waves get bigger and they get more consequential, you do have to be on your p's and q's. You got to, You got to be in top physical shape, but also you got to have that that big smile and screaming person in the back of your head as you're dropping down that wave like a roller coaster, and you're just praying and hoping for dear life <laughs> that you survive. You know, but when you do make it out, you're like, I can do this, and it's it's not simple. But as long as you start slow and you enjoy yourself and you have fun and you start very delicately, it, it eventually you'll start pushing and pushing and pushing the boundaries. You know, the way I started those first 90 days, I told you I was surfing. Uh-huh. I was catching one to two foot waves, ankle, ankle biters, you uh-huh. know, I was having fun.
0: And, baby, baby waves.
1: The baby <laughs> waves. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to surf baby waves. I'm like, well, you don't understand how to have fun. You know, like, come on. Like baby waves are baby waves. Like if you don't know what you're doing, baby waves are the waves for you. And then as you get better, then you catch bigger waves and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth.
0: Yeah. And and I think think it's really important for anybody and any sport to have fun first Um, because like any sport, not everyone's going to make it to the elite level or like you, the professional level. So if, if if you're just having fun and it's just recreational, that's okay, but um, but you got to have fun first, fun before, before before performance.
1: Agreed, 100%. I'm glad we see it the same way. And so what's
0: what's in it for you? What's the next step for you in your journey and in, in your adventure?
1: That's a great question. I am currently growing out my public speaking. Um, I'm actually... Almost on the precipice of doing a lot of really good things with that. Um, as far as the surfing is concerned, I've really enjoyed my competitive career. I've enjoyed the recreational side of it. Um, at this point, it's really about establishing the career, getting it built up, and then reviewing uh, my surfing career from there. It's not like I'm not training still and I'm not practicing. I am. I'm actually pushing my boundaries much further. I'm incorporating a lot of different um, training techniques just to see how I can improve myself just that 1% more to maybe make that drop on a 12 foot wave rather than an eight foot wave, because those little inches are going to matter and messing up in bigger surf has more consequences. So you have to kind of prepare yourself for such things. And I do that by um, free climbing. So I free climb right now as a, as another training tool just to see if I can handle it. And it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> um, as far as the next adventure goes, you know, it's, it's really speaking, it's speaking and providing a lot of opportunities for others to see what they can do in their own lives and also bring more inclusivity into the corporate world, into the business world and see what we can do as far as bringing bridges together of understanding.
0: Yeah. And along those lines, I know you're on some platforms, so you mind sharing some of the platforms you're on and how people can connect with you?
1: Sure. I'm on all social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, and I also have a website, uh, prone2ride.com, p to e t o r i d e.com. Prone to ride on Instagram, Facebook as well. On TikTok, my name is a little different, uh Jacob the stoked surfer. Uh might be changing up that name pretty soon here, but um if you want to reach out and contact me, you can get and contact me through my website or Instagram. I'd be happy to chat, happy to talk with you. And uh, thank you for listening.
0: Thank you for joining me.
1: Of course.